Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the pool deck the teams for the men's 4x200 metre freestyle relay final. So you come in and put your bags down. I know there's something in the air. How can I do this to you right now? You're over there when I need you here. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands and we have taken control of the Sydney Olympics for the year 2000. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to qualify for the Sydney 2000 Olympics and coincidentally the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young. I am one of the four mascots you're going to be hearing from for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, Adam Buncher. Still gold. Andrew McDonald. Even better gold. What? You can't? No. (laughs) And Nathan Harrison. Fool's gold. (laughs) The thinking man's gold. (laughs) Fool's gold. (laughs) All right, folks. uh, We are going to pick up exactly where we left off. We are finishing the top 10 and, by proxy, finishing the hottest 100 of the year 2000. Let's not waste a second more. At number five, this is Coldplay with Yellow. their return at number five in the Triple J Hottest 100. That is the track Yellow from their debut album Parachutes. Previous entrance into this year's Hottest 100, we talked about their single Shiver, but of course this is the centerpiece of the Parachutes record. This is the song that started it all, that turned Coldplay from a scruffy up-and-coming band of dorky-looking dudes to what later became described as the Glastonbury house band. Yeah, but they were still scruffy-looking dorky dudes. They're still dorky, man, but they are very well-dressed these days. You might say it turned Coldplay into Goldplay. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) 
yellow is actually also one of the colours of the Olympic rings, so you True. know it all, it all ties mm-hmm. in. This is our entryway into Coldplay. This is where we hear them for the first time, and more importantly, this is where we see them for the first time. Well, we don't necessarily see them. We see one man, Chris Martin, making a slow motion run down the beach in a one-shot, one-track music video. One of the most simple music videos in their canon, and yet still probably to this day one of the most famous and definitely one of the most recognisable. This dorky-looking dude, as we mentioned, this skinny little fucker, just legging it down the beach, singing directly to his lover as guitars shimmer and big hi-hats wail away. I can't hear one without seeing the other. Everything about this is inextricably linked for me. And... I love coming back to it. I love thinking back to this time where obviously they had no idea that this is where they were headed. It's obviously where they wanted to head. This is only the kind of song that you can write if you are shooting for biggest band in the world status. This is a all-encompassing, powerful song. It still brings crowds together after, you know, decades and decades. And I think the reason that it has kind of stood the test of time is that it's plain and it's simple and it's just resolute in its directness. And for a band that can absolutely get caught up in in very pretty but very, very flowery and elaborate metaphor, like uh, I feel like there's just a, a simple nature to this song that kind of endears them. Whatever fucking black magic or yellow magic they had going on behind the scenes to just turn this into the absolute juggernaut that it was, I'm thankful for it because as naff as it is and as uncool as as Coldplay are, uh, this song still puts a smile on my face. I have a really like firm memory of this being a song because I was, what, year six in this year? Yeah. I remember like making fun of it and like people changing the lyrics to being about piss or whatever, and that's yellow or whatever. Because kids are very clever. Kids are so clever. They're so clever. Oh, we were all over that shit, for sure. If you're properly hydrated, it shouldn't be as well. Well, that's true. They're fucking off the mark, kids. I think a lot of the kids are eating too much sugar. So, Well, if you're going to have the sugar, at least have it in like a Mountain Dew, the official drink of the 2000 Games. (laughs) Was it? Delicious. Yep. 100%. No, of course it wasn't. Might have been. They're they're kind of gamers. They're Olympic gamers. (laughs) Valid point. Olympic gamers rise up. (laughs) I think it's interesting what you said, David, about how you only write a song like this if you're aiming at being the biggest band in the world, because it's Mm. like, yeah, yeah. In terms of like the legacy of the song or whatever, like you can kind of see that, but there's such simplicity to the song. You know, the song is definitely going for a a sense of intimacy with the lyrics or whatever, but like the songwriting itself, I would never think to call ambitious. Well, it started as a joke. Well, Coldplay. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not ha ha funny. It's a joke to have done it. (laughs) It's a joke to have done it, Chris. The kernel of the song was they had just finished recording Shiver. They were out somewhere where there was a particularly beautiful Starfield night. I think the producer called them out and said, like, hey, guys, just come out here and, and check out check out the night. We'll take a break. And Chris Martin apparently just jokingly sang that first line, look out the stars, as if he was Neil Young. But very soon after that, he actually did come up with the melody 
for hmm. the entire song and it kind of led on from there which is really interesting as you say because like from all accounts Coldplay were incredibly serious starting out yeah and they had an incredible weight of expectation upon them a lot of people had a lot of things riding on this band someone uh, in an article that i read recently made a very interesting point saying that partially that could be because radiohead had gone weird oh yeah oh uh, mm. yeah that radiohead could no longer be relied on for being the stadium rock band that was okay to cry to <laughs> and you too, which also fill those shoes, are you know they're only coming back now. So yeah. Coldplay were kind of expected to step step up and kind of fill that role. Yeah, Radiohead are going weird. You two have just stopped being weird. It's a, it's yeah. a very interesting trajectory. Yeah, it's just like, damn it, can we just have some normal emotional British boys? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Martin says you rang like. <laughs> I want to put on like my musical conspiracy theorist hat here a little bit and go like, this has been a narrative that Chris Martin has trotted out in interviews for years and years and years. And look, it could be true. And it could be that in one moment of levity that then turned into them going like, no, 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 this now needs to become a hit. I know it was just a Neil Young joke, but it needs to become the biggest song in the world. Or maybe it was already that. And they just attached this kind of more playful narrative in order to, to make it more of a PR thing. I don't know. Also, man, like, mm. like I don't want to get on a whole thing here but the human memory is a piece of shit you remember things not like a fucking computer hard drive you remember the last time you remembered them so mm-hmm. each time you're remembering it you're coloring it with new expectations it might abs- absolutely be true to chris martin even if the actual events weren't as described as in this kind of like ultra poetic kind of moment kind of thing. You're saying that Chris Martin has just as terrible a memory as you do. I'm saying Chris Martin has gaslit NME. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. But Nathan, what do you actually make of it though? It's just a big generic pop song. And I get that it's big because music that is like the path of least resistance means that it's like the path to the most ears thinking it's good. If I had written this, I would throw it back. Imagining like this is a half-finished song, I can't put myself in the shoes of being like, yeah, this is worth finishing. (laughs) (laughs) There's just nothing in it to me. Like I get that like as a finished song or whatever, people can pour into the emotion of it. But like, yeah, I don't know. I don't hate it. It's just lame and boring and I'm not interested in it at all. So I guess I kind of hate it. I guess you do. Yeah, I guess so. The last cult by song we spoke about, Shiver. Yeah, was Shiver was good. Shiver was fucking good, man. Shiver is good. Yeah. There's parts of this here, like the guitar riff. Yes, indeed. Johnny Buckland, man. Yeah, man. He's he's fucking on one in this. Like, I feel like it, um, in its way, recalls Ride, like the the early 90s shoegaze oh, band true. from the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of Vapor Trail, yeah. Yeah, Vapor Trail, exactly, David. There are moments of that, and like even then in the verses, the guitar does a kind of like the the effects, be they pedals or post-processing, that they've put on them sound fucking lush, right? The parts of this that I like are the parts that remind me the most of Shiver, and and, and they're the parts where Chris isn't singing. And not that Chris has, a, has an intrinsically bad voice. He objectively has a good voice, whether or not you like what he sings or how he sings it. He's a good singer, like definitely. Again, David, you're exactly right. The song for me is intrinsically tied to the video. And looking back on it, I think the video is quite fucking cool because in slow-mo, they had to film it at 50 frames a second. So Chris Mm -hmm. was running along the beach performing the song in double time and then it was played back at 25 frames per second. So it is in slow motion and his lyrics 
still sync up with his mouth movements. Yeah. So the video is fucking cool when I'm looking back on it now. And like, it is just like unrepentantly romantic, this song. But I remember when it came out in 2000, really, really disliking it when it came on Rage or Video Hits. Oh, of course. Yeah. I was like, oh, this fucking song, man. God damn it. It's time to... I know, get it, go get a new bowl of like Fruit Loops or whatever I was doing at the time. <laughs> Turn the Olympics back on, please. The fact that that kind of memory is still attached to this song, like it's Coldplay's Yellow, right? Like, how can anybody talk about it objectively twenty years hence? Especially someone who doesn't like dorky pop music, right? Like, so for me, it's a thumbs down. As we've spoken about in the past, if something is completely free of irony, if you aren't on board with it. If you're just like towing the water before you dive in for the 100 meter freestyle, you're like not going to be there at all for it, I think. And for, for that reason, I'm not here at all for this song, even though the riff is fucking tight. Yeah, loads of things that I want to pick up on there. You're right about the guitar sounds. I think there are a lot of different guitar sounds in this song. And frankly, all of them sound really, really good. Like yeah. the acoustic guitar has this beautiful kind of twinkle. I feel like the distorted bent riff could be bigger. I mean, that's clearly like me showing my personal taste, which I imagine you share, Andrew, mm. which also leads me to th- like a, an imagined moment that I kind of had where it's like, man, I can see this song being turned up in certain ways that aligns it more to like shoegaze or dream pop. Like if you gave this as a demo to Beach House or My Bloody Valentine and saw what they could kind of do with it. And even like the the very, very pop melody, if you drown that out under waves of like shimmering guitars. Oh, then I'm a, back on board. <laughs> right? Right. But that's an interesting. Yeah, totally. That spirit of that song does still exist inside this song, which I think is worth looking at because Coldplay really were in this stage of infancy straddling the two worlds of indie rock and mainstream pop in a really interesting way. Oh, dude, Absolutely. There's a another reality where Coldplay opted to like push more into like music that would be like Pitchfork approved, and like even now, like the Needle Drop would be like, yeah, the legacy twenty year old indie rockers kind of thing like that, and and they'd be touring with Pavement rather than headlining football stadiums. That alternate history is totally inside this track. But God, you're so right about being around at the time, and everyone just bullying this band and it makes me reflect back as someone who really liked the parachutes album but distinctly remembers this always being the skip track and me just kind of thinking like i really wish that coldplay didn't ever write this song in some ways yeah right because i think like they parodied themselves before they even had a chance to say who they were and for some people they only got one shot at introducing themselves and it was kind of like their um the joke that we always say when you say something dumb in the group chat yeah. and then that's people will never let it go was the grink there this is Coldplay's <laughs> the grink moment right because they can't they can't go back from releasing this song they can't go back from being this band that basically wrote this really self-satisfied soft boy slow twee fucking thing about how much you love someone and want to do all these beautiful things for them. I think you're so right. People are 100% correct in bullying them, but the band didn't necessarily deserve it. <laughs> but this song <laughs> maybe did. But they didn't write it in a way to be like, let's make a cheesy over-the-top song. They thought, like, for them, I'm like, yeah, this is a very sweet, sincere love song. Like, yeah. you, like this person that I'm singing about 
exemplifies the optimism that I have in my life. And I think that's very beautiful. And then it just became <laughs> like... You nerd. Yeah, <laughs> you big nerd. But, but also they, there's a line in this song that says like, I wrote a song for you and it was called Yellow. Mate. Yeah, that's a bit. Don't self-reference the song in the song. Don't do that. Put it away. Maybe it was a different song. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're so right though, Adam, because I feel like Coldplay have definitely made some good and some interesting music, mm-hmm. but I've never, like, been interested in them or, like, cared about them. And I think this song is probably a big part of why, because first impressions matter. And yeah, they presented themselves with a song that was easy to make fun of. Yeah, wow. Don't get me wrong. Coldplay were fine. But... It took a long time for the people that they lost with this song to come back. And thankfully, they stuck around long enough that they could win those people back. And for the people who listened to this song and automatically loved it and were already on side and just went with Coldplay for the rest of their journey, that's great. But, like, I distinctly remember Coldplay being not only one of the most popular, but one of the most kind of, like, ridiculed bands at the time. It was a real deal with the devil, you know? Faustian pact. It's like you can be the biggest band in the world, but everyone that doesn't like you is going to make fun of you a lot. Yeah, yeah. And Chris Martin was like, I'll make that deal. <laughs> yes, the pact is sealed. That comes with the territory of literally every successful band, though. Nickelback have sold 35 million records. The biggest quote-unquote rock band of the 2010s was fucking Imagine Dragons. You cannot find a single act that is playing an arena or a stadium in the last like five, 10 years that has not had at least some flack thrown their way. Maybe Beyonce at a stretch. And like, if you're going to make that pact, right, take like Chris Martin or like even like in a cheesy way, Chad Kroger or the two guys in Imagine Dragons, James Imagine and Michael Dragons. <laughs> There's four guys in Imagine Dragons. <laughs> Look, whatever. I love that you don't know. I love that you just like are guessing things about Imagine Dragons. I, I really just roll the fucking dice there. <laughs> There's two guys in 21 Pilots. You're thinking of 21 Pilots. Maybe that is what I'm thinking of. Anyway, look. Are you thinking all- of 21 Dragons? I'm just imagining a graph. If someone said there's one person in Imagine Dragons, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, fully. And like two through to five, I'd be like, sure. And then like after six, I'd be like, huh, sure. And as it goes up, I'm like, really? But I'd never say, no, there isn't. What's your limit for how many people you believe? Like five, easy belief. Oh, yeah. Six, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Seven, I'd be like, I guess they could have two guitarists and two keyboards, I guess. I'd believe six comfortably. I'm like, I'm all in on six. There are seven people in Maroon 5. Yeah, see, exactly. Wait, is that true? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's too many. If you told me there's like eight or nine, I'd be like, really? Yeah, because maroon means two, Adam. <laughs> oh, two, two and five. Oh. Yeah. But my point is, all these dweebs, your Chris Martins, Chad Kroger's, the 15 Imagine Dragon guys, like, <laughs> all of them made that pact and all of them are definitely happier than me. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, what are you going to do? Like, uh, Chris Martin, you wrote Yellow. Yeah, sorry, man. I'm taking my private jet to Cocaine <laughs> Island. Bye. Like, <laughs> you could have hung this jersey up six months after the song came out. Yeah, totally, totally. But if you are invested in the beauty of this song, you're not in the wrong for doing that. It's just that I'm, I didn't connect with it at the time. And like now, in the last phase of my life, the irony <laughs> has burrowed in too deep and I just can't connect with it. Also, it's dweeby. 
<laughs> golden slow motion beach running. Mm. Oh, easy. Yep. I'll give it a golden color because it's they're similar. Yeah, I guess. Dun, um. dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, this is Weedus with Teenage Dirtbag. You gotta pronounce the H, it's like Weedus. 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 Teenage Dirtbag. Teenage Dirtbag. Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah, Dirtbag. It's Dirtbag. It's definitely Dirtbag. Good name for a son, Dirtbag. Is it? Or a daughter. an only appearance in the history of the Hottest 100 coming in at number four with the song Teenage Dirtbag from their self-titled debut studio album Quick Numbers Game Part 1 How many people are currently in the band Wheatus? (laughs) More or less than Imagine Dragons More than Imagine Dragons One for each of the letters of the band Oh yeah there's seven letters in Wheatus. Seven letters. You got William, Harry, Harry. Eric, Adam, <laughs> Tom. Don't, don't put an Adam in Wheatus, please. Um, Ursula. <laughs> Ursula, yeah. Seamus. And, and Seamus. There you go. Mm. <laughs> That's how they got it. <laughs> so your answer is seven? It is seven, yes. You are correct. Oh, what? Gold! <laughs> Huitas, huitas, Classic huitas. example of Andrew's law. If you have to guess how many <laughs> band members there are in a band, just go with the number of letters in the name and odds are you'll be right. It's correct for Einstrasenta <laughs> Neubarten. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah, there's so correct many. for heaps of bands. Weedus, Einstrasenta Neubarten, The Beatles, Wings, all of those bands. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points. Can anyone guess how many former members of the band Weetus that there are? Got to be one, surely. Just one. Just Mr. Wheatus. Yeah. William yeah. Wheatus. BBB. Brendan B. Brown. He's the only original member, but how many former members of, of oh. the band exist that are not currently in the band, but have been in the band? I, I, I'm going to say 49, seven sevens. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Thinking Man, seven, 49. I'll go seven. The Common or Garden, seven, seven. <laughs> I, will I pick three and a half? <laughs> Whoa, that's good. <laughs> a half. Yep. Since the band started in 1995, there have been 25 former members of Wheatus and seven current members of the band Wheatus. Look, I can't understand joining the project, but I can understand leaving the project. <laughs> so I guess that checks out. Nathan, you've already shown your hand a bit. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you give us your uh, your animated history of Teenage Dirtbag by the band Wheatus? 
Yeah, okay. So Weedus are from New York. This is the single off their debut album. This is kind of their breakout single, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, in, Which, in certain ways. Yeah, things really took off for Weedus after this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really a complete parallel with Yellow and Coldplay. Like they were yes, more on indeed. the same trajectory. After this song, they were both filling stadiums, either to watch or be Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> This was actually uh, particularly successful in Australia, so you can place yeah. whatever value judgment you want on that. The yeah. song is is kind of based around Brendan B. Brown when he was a young Brendan B. Brown. He um, was like just a bit of a metal kid and into Iron Maiden and Metallica and ACDC or whatever. It comes through, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. There was a weird teen homicide that happened in the woods near his house, and because he was like a teenager wearing band shirts and into like heavy music or whatever. Apparently people made comments or whatever. And, and he felt weird about that. And hence the song. That took a way darker turn than I could have possibly fucking guessed. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Teenage Dirtbag is actually a murder ballad. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> he describes singing the chorus as, uh, as an act of defiance saying like, fuck you. If you don't like it, just because I like ACDC doesn't mean that I'm a devil worshiper. You're an idiot. Just to cycle back, talking about how phenomenally popular this song was in Australia, it was actually, and you you know that I love when it comes into this number, the second highest single of 2000. Do we want to guess what the highest selling single in Australia is? In Australia? Of 2000. Okay. Not Bob the Builder. I'm going to stamp that out straight away. Shut up, are you face? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, was it a remix of Shut Up, Are You Face? (laughs) By Madison Avenue? I'll guess Freestyler. Number three. Oh, this damn. Beat, this beat Ooh. Freestyler. It's not yellow, is it? It's not yellow. Okay. No. Was it I Try by Macy Gray? It was I'm Out of Love by Anastasia. Oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> what, like, absolute Australia core? <laughs> yeah. No. No. Oh, hell yeah, dude. So this is just the kind of, like, pop rock song, very much like yellow in that, like, it was everywhere. I remember, even at the time, because this the video for this um, was all based off the film Loser. And that came out, like, I was checking this morning, that came out, like, the same week as this song. So there's clearly, like, a cross-promotional release date kind of worked out between the record and, and film executives or whatever. Don't you love the integrity of art? No, it's so good. <laughs> but I remember even as a kid being like... Is that movie just based on the song? Because Dude, fully, the movie fully. seemed to not have any content that wasn't in the song. Yeah, the movie seems to be summed up in the film clip. Yeah, <laughs> it really, really does. <laughs> this is a weird one to try and untangle from 20 years of hearing it as a kid and it just sort of being a song that's in the cultural milieu. I kind of looked into a couple of other Weeders songs as well, and I don't think I'm into them. <laughs> That kind of nerdcore adjacent, like, pop rock is very, like, early 2000s, but just not great. And this song, like, whatever, it just, it is what it is. It was everywhere, so it makes sense that it's in the top five. It was huge in Belgium as well. Ah, classic. I remember as a kid thinking it was kind of cool. The chorus sounds like a Blink-182 cover band. All I think of with the verses is the fact that every goddamn station apart from Triple J 
would censor the he brings a gun to school because the, the lyric in it is like her boyfriend's a dick he brings a gun to school and he'd seem to kick my ass if he knew the truth yeah exactly yeah they changed it in the censored version to um he brings a to school and apparently that was because the when they showed this to the record executive it happened to be like smack bang around the anniversary of the columbine massacre so the darkness behind this fucking song with like all that shit is so different to the actual song right this is obviously not for me dorky and stuff but what endears me a little bit more to Wheatus than perhaps is warranted is that um friend of the show and dear listener ryan made it a point to get super into Wheatus and oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, and saw them live, and then like it was a small crowd of like that, and like they were asking like, "What songs do you want to hear that aren't Teenage Dirtbag?" And then our buddy Ryan knew like some deep, deep cuts and B sides, and was shouting them out. And the band were like, "Oh my god, you know that song? We'd love to play it," kind of thing. So that to me endears me a little bit more to Wheatus. It's just like the sweetness of that story makes me not want to pick on Wheatus, even though <laughs> with this song, it's quite clear. It's very, very easy to pick on. That early bit in the song, it's like four or five seconds in, samples um, James Brown's Get Up Off of That Thing, which I think is interesting. Hmm. Really? Huh. I did yeah. not know that. Fucking weird, right? That's punching above their weight. Yes. <laughs> Most interesting thing about the song by a country mile. Yeah. yeah. Which, as we all know, is 121st of a marathon. Don't know how long a marathon is in miles, but... They run the mini Olympics and I was making, continuing the bit. Fucking Yeah, no, no, it's good. Five stars, please. Guys, I honestly think that this is easily one of the strongest rock songs of the year. I think just from the opening section where that guitar work comes in, the rest of the band, the rhythm section just kind of falls in superbly behind it and they just continue to just like put in work for the rest of it. Then like the vocals come in. And just from that first line, you are just like utterly captivated by the narrative. And it doesn't matter how many times I've heard it. I'm just like hanging on every single word he says. But like, it's just about the chorus, right? Of course. I think I will scream along to the chorus of this song until the day I die. There, there to me is like, you can't get much bigger of an anthemic musical moment. Because as soon as that one single powerful line, your time will come delivered as only the great Bruce Dickinson can sing. Like, it was just, what a way to welcome him back to the helm of Iron Maiden. Very anxiously waiting for the bit. Oh my God, yeah, th- that, that actually happened around this time, didn't it? The, the Wicker Man, Man is just one of the best songs of 2000. And <laughs> what else can more can you say? Like, fucking sincerely, The Wicker Man isn't just one of the best late period Maiden songs. It's one of the best it's Maiden the best songs. songs. Brave New World just fucking slaps. Ghost of the Navigator, so good, mm-hmm. man. Blood out Brothers. Of, Blood Brothers. The, the title track. Yeah, Out of the Silent Planet. Good, Iron man. Maiden, we're back. Yeah. And listen, sorry, if, if there was a song out there that told me to explicitly listen to Iron Maiden then, like, I can see myself literally stopping that song and going and listening to Iron Maiden at that point and not really bothering to return to that song again because they've just mentioned a superior act. Say what you will about Wheatus, but we've now spoken about them, so we're okay. Do you actually want my take, though? I thought the take was sincerely just Iron Maiden own. (laughs) That is part one of my take. And part two? Part two of my take for Teenage Dirtbag 
is that I've noticed that Zoomers have been making a lot of fun of millennials recently on TikTok. (laughs) And this song is a fucking compelling case that we fucking deserve it. (laughs) I really think that if you wanted to take like a three minutes of music that represents a lot of things that are really, really shitty about millennial pop culture, then this song kind of stands in for a lot of it. It's self-deprecating, self-obsessed, infantilizing, ironic, nostalgia-obsessed. Like, this song is the equivalent of a fucking 30-year-old who says that they can't adult today. He's continually drug out of the fucking grave. The dirt is brushed off it and 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 people continue to go around parading it like it is a is a paragon of of pop culture in their own ironic way is just fucking insufferable to me. Cuz it's just a compendium of shit you shouldn't do in a song. Singing in falsetto as if you were a girl, sensational choice. Never cringe. <laughs> Playing on American high school cliches, well done. Oh, needless scratching. Oh, there it is. Brilliant. Great. Thanks for that. Um, and also just that that descending scale right at the end and the way that they end the very final moments of the song. God, if you weren't already pissed off. <laughs> There's one thing I really enjoy about this song, and it's the line, man, I feel like mold. Yeah, that's true. That's a good line. It's a very good line. In our generation's defense, this was written by a Gen Xer, not a millennial. We have continued to parade its corpse around. Yeah, like <laughs> we gave them money. I get it. Stop saying adulting. Stop saying adulting. <laughs> fucking stop Jesus it. Christ, so man. Bad. Fucking stop it. Yeah. We just are in Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, epic bacon, dude. <laughs> epic mm. bacon. No, that's what I call a Reddit moment. I would be so much more surprised <laughs> if we just didn't have a song about bacon than if they did. <laughs> <laughs> Wheatus bacon? I'm also Googling it. Yeah. <laughs> you did you mean what is bacon? No, I obviously didn't. I was, I was, look, I was looking for the classic Weta song, Bacon. It's candy for men. <laughs> oh, God. I was so fucking surprised to learn that One Direction covered this song while they were touring in 2014. Oh, I remember them doing that. Yeah. Oh, you were there? Yeah. Fuck, dude. So many people covered this fucking song. Amy Shark covered this song. Heroes for Hire used to cover it. If I'm seeing... Uh Teenage Dirtbag have by One Direction. I'm taking One Direction out of the damn gig. Hey! Should cover Wicker Man instead. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Harry Styles, you're coming here in November uh, or whatever. Wicker Man, make it happen. I know you're listening, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, Wicker Man. Medal ceremony. What are we, Medals. What, what are they getting? Golden adulting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think they win gold, though. Give him, like, we, bronze. Will you not give him a silver in uh, band references, at least? They win the gold in songs encouraging people to go and listen to Iron Maiden. I can't think of another song that, that's not by Iron Maiden that is more encouraging <laughs> to listen to Iron Maiden. Can I quickly tell one last story before uh, we, we wrap this up? You got it. You can if you can end with a medal. Okay. Iron Maiden are coming to Australia to perform on their headlining tour in support of their most recent studio album, The Book of Souls. I put the word out on my Facebook and I let people know that this coming Friday, I have a plus one 
for the Iron Maiden show. And if you would like to join me, please let me know. What I don't realize that I've done is that I have told people that I've got two tickets to Iron Maiden and they should come (laughs) with me Friday. The entire thread is people making teenage dirtbag references and no one fucking takes the ticket until like two hours later. <laughs> someone, someone that made one of those references slid into my DMs and was just like, uh, can I actually have that ticket? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So, and so they, they get the medal in? Teenage Dirtbag references. I guess. Surely at least a silver in that. Yeah. Folks, it is time to hand out the bronze medal. Please step up, representing Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. This is Powderfinger with my kindest scene. Turn around, supposed to begin an unhappy life working some kind of dead end job. Everything you thought you had Is gone from worse to bad Lean to the side Whisper a cry The end is inside Working all night around the clock For everything you thought you had from worse to bad But it's not my kind of scene, oh yeah. coming in at number three in the 2000 Hottest 100. That's my kind of scene. It comes from the album Odyssey number five. Once more for season eight, Andrew. David. Oh, that one had a powerful aura. Mm. Yeah. Epic, dude. Not only was this from Odyssey number five, it's great that in the final ep, the the closing ceremony of (laughs) Horus of Hundreds and Thousands before we hitch our wagons to the sky and roll out across the dusty plain, we get to... Have one more final entrant in soundtrack hours. Good shit. Yes, indeed. And the soundtrack we all know and love. The soundtrack we know and love, Mission Impossible 2, <laughs> brackets the worst of the Mission Impossibles. <laughs> Wasn't that filmed in Australia? Or part yep. of it was filmed in Australia? Yeah. yeah. That's probably why this is here. <laughs> that that would explain it. Why it was on the soundtrack, at least. Yeah. Who was the tourism minister in 2000? Tourism minister. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't Scott fucking Morrison, was it? No. Oh, you're kidding. Who's that? He was the leader <laughs> of the Liberal Party in um, New South Wales in 2000. Um, I can't see. It might have been the Honourable Stuart Lawrence, but maybe it was also the Honourable Martin Pakula or the Honourable Simon Birmingham. Either way, whoever you were, <laughs> you probably did a shitty job because you were a minister in Australia. This song <laughs> was on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. It was written for Odyssey number five, but then when, when Tom Cruise comes a-knocking and asking for a track for his latest impossible mission, you step up and... Mm-hmm. Powderfinger mm. did. They um, submitted three songs for um, consideration. 
they were my kind of scene, which was chosen, and the other two were whatever makes you happy, and also up and down and back again. But this was one that the label chose, or that maybe Tom chose personally. So the original release of this was on the MI2 soundtrack, which, if you recall the last time we spoke about the MI2 soundtrack, I believe it was for um, a little track by uh, Fred Durst and his fabulous Biscuits. Yes, indeed. This sounds pretty different to that. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly, just slightly. Also different to Metallica, the other track that we've talked about from the MI2 soundtrack. Oh, true. Yeah, I don't know how well the flow goes on that soundtrack. This is towards the end of the album. My kind of scene is like the second or third last track of the Mission Impossible okay. 2 soundtrack. <laughs> I've made no secret in the past of my, at best, you'd call it apathy and at worst, antipathy towards the Mighty Mighty Finger. When we spoke about them a number of years ago, and we talked like one of their songs was talking about like the dreariness of day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And, that song, and, that, and that song was called Audience. Already um, gone. <laughs> Already gone. Yeah, Good of one. course. We all, we all remembered it. Like this is the, the uh, to a certain degree treading similar ground, right? Talking about like an unhappy life of working a dead end job, wanting to, as I say, move out of sight into a life you dream of. And so I guess that what they were shooting for here is like that kind of the dreariness of that with a song that can like if you want music to be drearily reflect, reflecting. Uh, dreary lyrics but still be engaging it's a difficult line to walk right and obviously because yeah. this is getting the the shameful bronze it <laughs> has done so successfully to a lot of ears but I think a lot of ears are dickheads and this song <laughs> is pretty crap these bows are all very long drawings Andrew is the golden archery I'm into yes. it. Sure for sure. It's not as bad as what was the winner from last year? These days, yeah, I, I forgot it because it's just not a very memorable song. That's how little <laughs> I care about the finger burn at me. No, please don't. You have money and success and happiness. Oh yeah, if he sicked the powder finger fans on you, you'd be done oh, for. Boy. Yeah, the 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 fingerers, as they call themselves. <laughs> 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 Ah, <laughs> uh, terrible. <laughs> the song itself sounds as bored as I am when I hear it, which mm. I guess, kudos, you nailed it. But also, <laughs> boodos, nailed it badly. The, I think the ending has some cool moments there where the guitar's kind of like noodling a little bit in a bit, like not quite a solo, but just like, you know, like... And there's some tremolos. Like, if there's a tremolo, then I'm at least partially on board because... Precisely, yeah. You know, post-rock and black metal. Yeah. It's not unfair to say that this is Powderfinger's most black metal song. <laughs> I have that in my notes too, Adam. Yeah, yeah a yeah. lot of people are saying that. Also, in the, the repeated line, it's from worse to bad. So, like, it's improving, right? Yeah, like, it is. Yeah. 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 It's going all right. Like, my day's it's- gone from worse to bad because now I'm, like, in a bit of a better mood. It's cool, okay. man. That's nice, man. It's good on yeah. you, Burn. I also, like you, Andrew, tried so, so hard. I really did. I tried to try to come up with, with some kind of take, with something to say about this song. And the best I could come up with was the image of, you know, when you're standing in line to go to like an open buffet and you get your plate and then you walk in and you walk past all the tables and you still walk out with an empty plate. Mm, because, because the good stuff from the Baymary is already gone. And no, there's like, just you just get in there and you look at everything that's available and you go, no. You turn 360 degrees and walk right out. That's, <laughs> mm. that's what I got. It's a mood, mm. baby. All I can say, and I can say this definitively, is that this is the least suitable song 
for an action film. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's got some real like rom-com, I'm Hugh Grant and I'm moping in my room because I said the wrong thing to a girl and now there's a terrible misunderstanding and we're just going to have a scene where I reflect on that and I'm sad. And it's like, is that Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise is, is lying there going like, ah, oh, damn it, I wish I didn't look back at that explosion. No, surely this is the point in the movie where part of the mission has not gone well and potentially the love interest has been kidnapped or something. And he's doubting himself. I assumed it was the credits. Yeah, maybe. That's a real lack of energy even for action movie credits. The worst part is there are songs in the Powderfinger canon that would actually work for an action movie. Don't Want to Be Left Out in a fucking car scene would be fucking insane. Like, even off this record, something like Like a Dog, the song Like a Dog would be fucking cool for like a fight scene or something like that. Totally. I know for a fact that Powderfinger Mm. can and do better. They are capable of so, so, so much more, even on this album. If I was going to have a number three song in the Hottest 100, like, and it had to be a Powderfinger song. And it does. Well, I'll go The Meter. I think The Meter is a fucking spectacular song. Yeah, I agree. Even something like Thrilliology, like, I think has has some good points to it. Waiting for the Sun is a really, really strong and, like, catchy track as well. Like a Dog, again, like I said, fucking great song. Hard-hitting, political bent to it. There is some really good stuff on Odyssey number five. This isn't it. And... For the life of me, I can't figure out what elevated this to this level. You know what I mean? Like, mm. when you've seen a band, like, succeed and you've seen them thrive and you're just like, oh, cool, what what track of, what track is everyone getting behind? Oh, that one. Really? Yeah. Of all their songs, really? That's that. Is this your king? Yeah. I mean, look, the only thing I can say is that for the last couple of days when I've been prepping this episode, I have had this song stuck in my head more than any of the others. Interesting. And that might be because it is the song of the five that I'm least familiar with. That makes sense. That is true, yeah. So it was new and my brain had to kind of like get around it, but at least there were some very solid melodious hooks that have been rattling around in my head. We've talked about this in the past. With all the with all the millions and billions probably songs that have been written, if there is something in a song that makes it memorable, well, you're already in a high percentile. I will say that. And I, and I think like... The lyrics are wide enough and open enough that, for me, it doesn't give me anything to hold on to. But I could also imagine somebody who does get something quite profound from them, who hears, like, when everything you thought you had goes from worse to bad and goes, like, that has captured something for me. I can imaginatively stretch myself enough to see someone really having a connection to this song. But it ain't me, Chief. Yeah. I'm going to go listen to that Limp Bizkit song again. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. I-, I will join you. But we should also shout out because we're talking about Powderfinger and this happened quite recently. The band got back together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A pre-bump. Yeah. May 25th, seven song performance streamed live on YouTube. The band's five members were all in separate locations. And through this one concert, which you can now hear on YouTube and Spotify as well, they raised almost half a million dollars for Beyond Blue and Support Act which is pretty fucking cool. So good. Can't argue with that. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't want those fans coming after you, Andrew, because look what they do. <laughs> no. they, put, they put their mind together, yeah. they get shit done. They will ruin your look, life. Look, to their credit, it was a good set, but I would have I would have done a very, very different set list. Like mm. if I was in charge, I'd be running in and be like, all right, you're playing this, 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 and this. You're not playing any <laughs> of that shit. Sorry, who are you? 
and you just smack him in the face and be like, do as you told me. <laughs> I'm your boss. That's who the fuck I am. <laughs> Sit down, Bernald. Uh, medal ceremony. What are we thinking? Well, they get the bronze. They get the official the official bronze. And I'll give him a, a subsequent second bronze for <laughs> crashing a car, which happens in the film clip. Oh, yeah. True. True. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think I think they can get like a, a surprise silver in soundtracks or whatever. Like it's a bit of a no one expected them to get that. Maybe after these days, obviously that was a a strong gold from two hands, but um, no one expected them to really be a competitor with the Mission Impossible True track. But here we are. Can I give a gold to Limp Biscuit then? Of course. Gold for Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Woo! It is time to hand out. The silver medal of the Triple J Hottest 100 for the year 2000, representing Dublin City, Ireland. This is U2 with Beautiful Day. Just imagining Bono stepping up on a podium going, Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The heart is a blue. Up through the stony ground There's no room No space to win In this town You're out of luck And the reason that you had to care The traffic is stuck And you're not moving anywhere You thought you found a friend To take you out of this place Someone you can lend a hand in return for grace. So beautiful. That was you two coming in at number two in the Triple J Hottest 100 of the year 2000, officially taking out the silver medal with their hit single. Beautiful day. It comes from the album All That You Can't Leave Behind. This is where U2 begins again. The 90s are seen as somewhat of a commercial slump and a bit of a creative wasteland for U2. They've been to the top of the mountain. They've come back down. They've had to try and figure out who they are after this insane ascent that turned them into one of the biggest bands of the 80s. They experiment, they wander around a bunch of different genres, they make a bunch of very ambitious collaborations, including one with Johnny Cash of all people. Pavarotti. And Pavarotti, of course, yes indeed. Sorry, it's Pavarotti. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. Is it, Andrew? Yeah. Forgot to do the hands. Bono has gone on record talking about how this song, this album, the whole era of All That You Can't Leave Behind, this is U2 reapplying for the job of biggest band in the world. And you can scoff at that, and many people have. There are so many Bonoisms out there that just assert him as the biggest punching bag probably in pop or rock history, you know. The guy can turn up as a talking head in a documentary and people will boo specifically for the time that he is on the screen and then remain silent when he isn't. That's the kind of 
instilled hatred that exists for Mr. Paul Hewson. I am coming to you two with only the vaguest of impressions of who they are at this point. I have seen the video for The Sweetest Thing, which, of course, again, we've talked about. I have a vague understanding of who they are. I know that they are a big deal because they have not one but two Greatest Hits albums. (laughs) Then this song comes out, and I feel like I fully comprehend why U2 is a big deal to people. This is just such a huge song. It's very, very obvious, and it swings for the back row of the stadium, you know? Like, this is aiming for the cheap seats. This is going as big and as broad as you 2 have ever gone. To quote a song title of the band back at them, this is the sound of you 2 trying to throw their arms around the world. And for my money, they succeed. I feel like this is a... Super, super important song in the history of the band. I feel like everything that makes the band function as a machine really is encapsulated here, whether it's the slinking bass line of Adam Clayton or it's the dynamic use of going from the tambourine hits to the snare hits Uh, for Larry Mullen Jr., going between those, that unmistakable guitar tone, the way that it literally just takes off when the chorus hits, which is driven home by the incredible text painting of them performing on an airplane runway in the song's music video. It's just grand and soaring and majestic. That's the only way that this song can be taken in. When the band were doing uh, a run... uh, as the house band on Letterman for a week, uh, circa the release of their album No Line on the Horizon. I think it was the Thursday or the Friday night. Everyone's kind of just clapping along and stuff like that. Bono, ever the extroverted performer, ever the I'm going to get directly in people's faces kind of thing. When the chorus for this hits, he just runs out and just the crowd just comes up with him. The entire crowd gets out of its chairs and people are like jumping and cheering and all that kind of stuff. That is the instinctual response to a song like this for, you know, a quote unquote normie crowd for your Ed Sullivan, David Letterman, taped audience kind of performers. This song isn't for the snobby music nerds that make a niche podcast. This is a song that means a lot to a bunch of people and... It's interesting to kind of remove yourself from that and kind of see it from that perspective. I remember a few years ago, just just as a brief aside, I remember seeing Shannon Knoll. I was doing a feature on him. This was when he had that whole ironic comeback kind of thing. I got sent along to this show. I interviewed him, stuck around and kind of watched it. And I was expecting it to be a bit of a train wreck. And it was was dorky and everything. But he gets up to the song Lift, which is the theme song for The Biggest Loser. And he says, I put out this song 10, 12 years ago. And I get messages every single day of people telling me how much this song means to them. And if I'm able to do that, then I feel like I've done something with my life. And I've always thought of that song as so cheesy and so naff and everything like that. And then when he says that and he performs it, I'm just like, oh, fuck, this was never for me. And I get why 
this connects with people. It's broad and it's obvious, but it's endearing and it's powerful in its own way. And that's what I feel Beautiful Day is. Like, I think it is a, a masterfully crafted pop song and easily one of the strongest U2 singles of any of their eras. This is such a significant song, and there's a reason that they have played this on every single tour since. You can't escape this song. It's simple, but it's so, so effective. I actually think you nailed it, Deej. I actually think you completely fucking nailed it. And I think it saying that a song is not for you is often one of the biggest and most correct responses to music that you don't react positively to. But in this case, I think it goes a little bit further than that for me because the issue here is that it asks so much of me, I feel. It is a song that is so unironic and so filled with hope, with optimism and with faith that when it reaches out its hand to me and says, come with me on this and experience this thing and be joyful and, and, and just like let go and feel this huge explosion that, that we are creating for you. I can't take it. And instead I cringe back into myself, but it makes me then reflect on my own cynicism because I would really love to go with it. I'd really love to be able to meet this song exactly where it is and to be able to feel it so fully without any cynicism because I do believe that this song is transcendental for those people who can feel it, but I cannot do that. So instead, it's an incredibly complicated process for me to listen to, made even more so by the fact that there was a time in my life where I could, where I was a huge U2 fan and where I remember leaning back in a bus and being in the grips of depression at a time where I really didn't understand that very well, but felt it very, very acutely as a teenager. And being someone who did have a dimension of faith and optimism in my life and leaning into this song in those moments and being able to go with it and actually being thankful for it in those moments. So I've been on both sides of this fence and and on the side of the fence that I am now, I, I feel that dull ache, but I can't kind of follow with it. So pretty fucking interesting to revisit it now yeah totally and it leaves me with a sense of pretty like sincere envy for people who are able to listen to this and have a great time well i think i was lucky in the sense that i came to this song you know very very early on if this song came out when i was a teenager you know i would have rejected it i was listening to way more indian way more you know sincere stuff than this Mm. mainstream crap like coming to this song as like a 10 year old i'm just like wow this is huge Mm. you know i can't shake that kind of childlike wonder but even like having just said the things that i'm saying now like i'm I'm even reflecting back on that being like motherfucker you just said that about fucking you too you just said that shit about beautiful day like how (laughs) how dare you be so goddamn heartfelt about a you too song have you listened to the song that is a confusing kind of maze that i now find my Myself in that I, I I actually can't untangle because like you know I'm I'm also in the same moment that I did say all that stuff and hey that could be the truth maybe current me is also right as well there is something flawed about that optimism all I'll say is I've seen you two twice and they were absolutely fantastic and I am past the point of caring whether the bands I like are cool or Pitchfork or Fantano approved or whatever the fuck like I just love what I love and I I love you too so. Mm. <laughs> I've made peace with all that shit. So I quite like this song. Whoa! It's obviously well put together. I I was not expecting that. You gotta expect the unexpected, David. 
Um, and then you would have expected it. Fuck, man. I think I like the verses more than the chorus because I think there's more going on than just the like absolute pure elation reaching of the chorus. Whereas the verses, like, I like all those kind of chords fed through the beatbox or whatever's going on there. Like, there's some really nice production work. Like, Brian Eno is obviously very good at what he's doing. And, you know, like lines like the, you thought you'd found a friend to get you out of this place. I think like that little melody line is beautiful. I think that really hits the kind of tenderness and fragility that like the song is going for in the verses that sets up for the chorus. The thing when I listen to this though, I can't untangle it from you 2 as, like you say, David, like the, the biggest band in the world, but like being the biggest band in the world isn't just about filling stadiums. It's about money and it's about being a weird cultural machine that has a lot of stuff attached to it. And it's like, yeah, this is like in many ways a very emotionally pure song that is just hitting this note and not doing anything else. But it's still crafted by a team of people with like more money than I can imagine. And I can't help but feel cynical about that. And obviously Bono is like, he does some good things, but he's a real fuckwit too and does a lot of bad stuff and says like capitalism has saved more people than, than it's harmed or whatever. I can't remove the cynicism I feel for where the song comes from and what it means that this band is so big and that any band is so big, you know? Like I listen to this song and on one level I enjoy it, and on another level, it throws in my face the inescapable fact that music and money are two sides of the same coin because of the world we live in. And that sucks. Like nothing good is comes from that. So I don't know. Like it's tough because like it's it's a nice song. And and the shitty thing as well is like obviously that's not just you two. That's like every band. It's not Iron Maiden. It, every band except Iron Maiden. Correct. But heaps of bands that I like. Uh, you know, like like major label artists or whatever, or are particularly well off people that like live and and work as artists in a way that is conducive to like the problems with everything. It's just that because you two are the biggest, and because Bono is the most Bono, those feelings of cynicism are the hardest to escape when I listen to a band, like when I listen to you two. Um, so yeah, it's a nice song, but like it's a struggle, I think. For me. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It, it, I think the okay, struggle good. is the right thing. I mean, I, I want to bully myself now. So it's obviously <laughs> a complicated song. Bully Bono. Are you people fucking deaf? This sucks. Yes. Good. 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 <laughs> yep. Continue. Good. Good. Yes. Yes. Go on. Is what I would want to say because <laughs> I thought it would be funnier for the, for the content to lead in with that after not speaking for five minutes. But oh my God. Oh Look, God! This song is pure cheese. This yes. is yeah. This is gorgonzola wrapped in brie, sprinkled with parmesan, and then dipped in fondue. <laughs> oh no! I think this is just like no-name supermarket cheese that like has no bite to it at all, <laughs> and a cartoon Bono on the front. Either way, I'm fucking. I'm I'm so <laughs> in. This sounds delicious. The cheese that when you watch like American cooking YouTube channels and they're making a burger and they're like, look, you got to use American cheese. I'm like, nah, man, that shit sucks. Use that aged cheddar, you fucking pleb. <laughs> Just use whatever Guy Fieri uses, all right? Yeah, it's Flavortown, baby. Hell yeah. You two are obviously at this point, to quote the bard, huge fucking dorks. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love Winter's Tale. <laughs> if you two be the food of love, turn off the radio, please, love. <laughs> um, <laughs> Motherfucker, did you just rhyme love with yeah. love? Yeah. Just like the bard did. That's why the bard was the best. <laughs> That's why they call him the bard. Yeah. Golden poetry. Like, this is not nearly as bad in terms of cheese that you two would become, right? This isn't what I would call, like, one of maybe the four... U2 songs that you could conceivably and generously call pretty good. But for what this is trying to do, it does it very well. It's broad. It's huge. The chorus is, it's not even like it's hard on your sleeve. It's just so fucking huge and optimistic that like, if you could lock into the the groove of what they're doing thematically and musically, then th- seeing this live would be a song that you could cry to. Unless it wasn't a very nice day. If it was a bummer, like, yeah. If it was a bit cloudy or, like... No, but don't you see? It still would be a beautiful day. Or if it was, like, really windy, but you had Oh, if it's windy, obviously, fuck off. Windy. Yeah, Yeah, windy is bad. You're not going to play the song on a windy day. Fuck that. No. Yeah. The games are cancelled. You can't do anything outside. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do all the inside games. All the inside games. (laughs) Video. Yeah. In the velodrome. Oh, yeah, I suppose um, those, yeah. Wheeling the the TV in so you could watch a movie from twenty years ago. That's a good game. <laughs> Golden oh. Shrek. Some. There's never been a time in my life where I've thought to myself, "I want to hear you two beautiful days on MP3." But I understand why other people fuck with this song so much. It could be so sincerely beautiful to you if this was a song that that you could connect with. But as much as even though revisiting it now and trying to cast a some level of objective eye across it, the verse kind of like synthesized staccato keyboard riff, there is something cool there. And again, Nathan, as you said, Eno knows, knows what the fuck he's doing when it comes to like sound. There's no part of this that makes me think I want to finish hearing this song. But also just um, in terms of just a bit of a tie in here, this song was featured heavily during NBC's broadcast of the 2000 That game. makes so much sense. Yes, indeed. Hey, that checks out. Yeah. It was used in a nightly video recap called Image of the Games. Which is a great image. You feel some feelings. <laughs> See some people like pumping their fists out of the pool. Yeah, dude, classic pumping fists out of the pool music. Oh, big pumping time. fists out of the pool, crossing the finish line oh. and just screaming at the crowd and fucking throwing a thing far. Yeah. They love it. Don't let it get away. They can't they can't get enough of it. So again, I don't fuck with this song, but I don't not fuck with it as deeply as NME did not fuck with it. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. good. I was gonna say, can we talk about uh-huh. this? NME, the British music magazine, they published a negative review of the song after a single release. <gasps> Kill surprise. And suggested that Mark David Chapman should be released from prison to shoot Bono. <laughs> <laughs> that's um but, which is pretty oof, pretty harsh that's fucked up that's not great I think that's bronze for music journalism <laughs> I don't think that's gold right nobody wants to get a soft zero from Fantano but I think I'd rather that than someone calling for my murder from the dude that bodied John Lennon <laughs> Oh, pretty rough. Fuck that. Pretty rough. Disqualified. Disqualified enemy. So to me, I viewed this song somewhere in between listenable and so bad, I hope the singer gets murdered. <laughs> By a famous murderer. <laughs> By a dude who is only known for being a murder guy. A murder guy. <laughs> you, you murder one beetle, that's all they say. Um, Like, I just, yeah. 
number two in an alternative radio station. Come on. Gold in uh, end of day montage. Yeah. Soundtrack. Yeah. I get, um, gold in airplanes taking off. Yeah. G- gold in, in pumping your fist after mm. you win mm. the swimming race. Yeah. A sad gold in like potential murder victims. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. What if that really happened to enemy? Would you be happy? Fuck me dead. <laughs> what if the prison board really released? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not eligible for parole for the next 20 years, but I mean, NME, you know. They <laughs> <laughs> said we should do this. Hmm. I've just been reading NME about what lately has got cred, and apparently it's you <laughs> bodying Bono. <laughs> and that's the silver, which means... Which means... Time to go home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As we all know, we hand out the bronze and the silver and then we go home. Oh, you got to beat the traffic, you know? <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't participate in your Olympic event because you got to beat the traffic. Like, <laughs> you're running the 100 metre dash, you get to 50 and you're like, oh, look, we, we know I would have won. Let's just swerve yeah, off. Yeah, I've got to go. <laughs> like, looking, at, looking at your phone being like, oh, look, I might get the early train actually. Um, I don't want to piss about changing it like Waterloo and then like make a, getting an Uber, it's just all. Uh, I'll, I'll just be off. It's all right. No, 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 no. I had fun. I didn't say I didn't have fun. No, it was I, good. It was good. I've just got to bounce. Yeah. I'm just. I'm yeah. really tired. It'd be great if you just maintained the same pace, but just ran out <laughs> of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> you just stopped running on the track and then just exited and then just ran to the train station. Well, they should build the track like that so that people can just go home straight afterwards, especially if they don't win. Yeah. <laughs> You come fourth, you want to be on that train immediately. You certainly want to beat the fucking traffic if you're going to come seventh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, that is it for season eight. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. we got to catch that train. Yeah. yeah. If you would like a little bit of bonus content, however, do stick around. I think all the fake fans are gone. So uh, <laughs> welcome to the post credit scene. It's time for us to review a bonus song for you guys. Taking out the gold medal, representing Brisbane, Queensland, Australia at number one. This is Powderfinger with my happiness. <laughs> Shadow on the street now I hear you push through the rusty gate Pick up your heels on the concrete Waiting for a night coming way too late It seems an age since I've seen you Countdown as the weeks trickle in Come in and put your bags down I know there's something in me, yeah How can I do this to you right now? You're over there when I need you here My happiness Slowly creeping back Now you're at home 
the second year in a row, the number one song of the year goes to Powderfinger. My happiness. There it is. There it is. The number one song of the year 2000. We are talking about some record-breaking shit here. So to explain exactly what's happened, we are going to go to our chief analyst, Adam Buncher. Adam, let's let's check the instant replay, and uh, you can use your little stylus pen to circle specific uh, strategies and uh, various uh, key points of of the instant replay. Show us, yeah. show us how this happened. Yeah, thank you, David. Just an absolutely dominant performance for Powderfinger at these games. As much they've shown the same kind of form in games past, people have really rallied around these crowd favourites. Really like the Michael Phelps of the Hottest 100, the Usain Bolt of the Hottest 100, the only artist to place Mm. number one two years in a row. But of course, their success isn't only seen in the Hottest 100. Can I stop doing this sports commentator voice? I think I've proved I can do it enough. No, 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 keep going. Okay, you can you can stop, but you have to keep the blazer. Man, I'm not taking the blazer off. This looks amazing. Um, <laughs> they also you mentioned Odyssey number five, uh, number one in the hottest 100 Australian albums of all time poll they did in 2011. This single peaked at number four on the Australian Aria singles chart, number seven on the New Zealand singles chart, and is one of the only significant chart placings that they've ever had. In the United States, it reached number 23 yes. on the Hot Modern Rock Tracks chart. They performed this on Letterman. They performed this on Letterman. This won Powderfinger five ARIA Music Awards in 2001, including highest selling album, best group, and best rock album. And this also has a direct Olympics link. My Happiness was released as a single in Australia on the 21st of August 2000. Fanning joked in interviews saying that uh, the release date was timed to coincide with the Olympics. So when all the visitors were here, they can go into HMV and pick it up. Maybe some of those visitors also voted as well. This song makes sense to be at number one. And my review for the song can more or less be summed up with two different sets of two words. Number one is Valium Generator. (laughs) (laughs) As in it generates Valium or it's generated by Foo Fighters on Valium? The latter. Think about it. You've got a lead that is done by a guitar with a weird effect. You the the entire verses are built around a tension that is eventually released inside the chorus, and it's just memorable and hooky. And my other two word review for the song is Australian Wonderwall. (laughs) Oh my god! Mm. It's too real, Roy. It's too real. And in much the same way that Wonderwall had to win the Hottest 100, there wasn't ever a choice. I believe that in every voting card that was handed out, the number 10 spot was automatically written as as Wonderwall and you couldn't erase it and it was automatically counted. That is definitely the case for this song as well. When I listen to this song, what I hear is just another, and in as much the same way as I said about Wonderwall, is it just an example of the well-made song. It's complete. The melodies are spotless. Dirt does not stick to them. It's the one complete historic monument. Powderfinger are known for having these kinds of songs. Does it make sense what I mean when I when I say that? Well, to your point of comparing it to Wonderwall, like I've seen, you know, footage of both Liam Gallagher and Bernard Fanning stepping away from the mic during 
those respective songs and letting the audience take it just by themselves. But of course. And that's something you can only do when you know you've written something and theme it. Regardless of where you stand in the actual song, you can't deny the impact and the presence of either song. And I think it's got a bit of a similar energy to what I was talking about with Californication um, kind of last week as well, that it is one of those songs that when you reach this level of craft, that can account for it, you know, kind of slipping past you. Um, And also the fact that those songs are destined over time to become the songs that get repeated and get overly heard and you either continue to to drill down and 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 cement in the grooves of your brain a relationship to those songs or you continue to kind of like get further away from it as it becomes less and less personal to you these are the songs that for us in this podcast i think can sometimes be the hardest ones to kind of talk about that's a good point yeah the easiest songs for us to talk about really are the songs that we're discovering everything where everything's new there's not this legacy there's not this heritage there's not the weight kind of behind it so it's a song with a capital s to try and pick it apart and to try and explain it you know here's a song about that bernard wrote as a reflection of of the time that the band spent on tour promoting the work and the loneliness that he felt as a result it's a song that i think is about feeling so disconnected and betrayed by someone leaving or on the other hand so guilty about leaving someone that even when you kind of come back, there's still a gulf and, and, and it's hard to kind of like piece that together. And what I think the song manages the best and is most, the most interesting thing about it, the way it manages a dual point of view, I can kind of get a sense simultaneously of it being from the point of view of someone returning to someone who was left, but also from the point of view of someone who was left seeing someone return. And that kind of accounts for the really like lethargic, drained, but still kind of desperate emotional tone that the song carries, which kind of either crashes into and you can read it as a resignation or as a relief inside the chorus. And I also guess I kind of like how you don't quite know which one of those it is. I can see how this is a song that would mean a lot to people. Apparently, a lot of people have misinterpreted the tone of the song and believe it to be more of a heartfelt love song than it is, which is something that Bernard has commented as being mystifying. This can't be taken away from the cultural landscape of Australia and and from the musical landscape of Australia. Um, As Powderfinger's biggest song, there's just no way that you can kind of do that. And I remember like first discovering this song and, and getting into it and while I can read the emotion from a from a distance, when I come to it now, I kind of do feel separated from it. And, and it doesn't really give me a whole lot. So I just have to keep referring back to the fact that it's like, yep, here it is, guys. Here's my happiness. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Odyssey number five. I feel it's a good record, but there are a few kind of weaker points on that record. And I don't know if it's just the overexposure thing, but to me... As it stands, my happiness is one of those weak spots. I don't feel like this hits the right chords for me anymore. Even back in the day, like literally the most interesting thing about this song is the music video. The adventures of that slinky. I love that little (laughs) slinky. To me, that's the Australian equivalent of the coffee and TV milk carton. Just following Mm -hmm. that little fellow Mm -hmm. around everywhere he goes and just like, yeah, go, you little fucker, go, yes. I care so much more about the slinky than I do about my happiness. If my happiness has to exist so that the slinky exists, then so be it. 
but like my kind of scene is like the same sort of thing where it kind of just like is really MOR and it kind of drags it down. Isn't it so weird that like both my kind of scene and this song got in? Like I, I think the two are so similar yeah. as tracks that like it kind of diminishes the and impact sa- of- Yeah, sandwiching the way they do as oh well. Oh my God, yeah. can you imagine if they were back to back? That'd be horrible. That'd be fucking nuts. They are very similar songs. They're a powder finger in a very similar gear. You know, even in the fact that they're drawing upon the the kind of soul influences that they are. You know, there are a couple of nice things in there, like Bernard playing the Wurlitzer and that, you know, very distinctive guitar sound. And even similarly, like uh, Bernard rocking the tambo the same way that uh, noted tambo enthusiast Liam Gallagher would uh, rock the tambo. I appreciate a good tambo. It definitely lifts the song a little bit. Um, Even the time signature stuff in the chorus, I I kind of appreciate. But like, this is just an exhausting song to me. I got nothing out of coming back and hearing this song again. And it's it's a real shame because... It's nothing from a band that's capable of something. The Wonderwall thing is just like blowing my mind like as I see the parallels because that's also nothing from a band that is capable of something. I was really down on these days last year for the finale, recorded live in our nation's capital. I don't even have like the begrudging antipathy towards this. I think, Adam, you're right that this was going, this was going to be number one. And yeah. there, is, there is strong Wonderwall vibes stemming from this and when we spoke about wonder war so i didn't fucking like that either for i guess similar reasons there's just this like absolute nathan you mentioned this a couple of songs ago the broader you make the appeal and the more people who like you the less interesting it can be by by default right i think this is a perhaps a better song than my kind of scene it is i think it's also like a good song and i think but i think the problem is that it's an objectively good song often these kind of like broad appeal well-crafted songs are self-evidently good in a way that's not really interesting to talk about you know it's a it's an anthemic sing-along with a a complicated emotional kind of texture and a nice little bit of catharsis i think there's something to say about this and my kind of scene being where it is and and these days last year signifying this is the biggest a fish can get in the small pond that is Australia. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like Powderfinger yeah. at this point is huge. And obviously there have been big Australian bands before and, and like quote unquote Australian bands like ACDC who are Australian, but in, in a very real sense aren't in the same way but i think this is like in in some ways this is like what the australian music scene can be is having a band be this big and and then i think the consequence of that is that a lot of the songs that are that big are going to be really broad and heaps of people are going to have a really strong emotional connection to that and heaps more people are going to be exactly what you said and it's like oh yeah my happiness cool it's an interesting time i'm not sure you could say a band has been as big in australia as Powderfinger since. Obviously, like, Tame Impala, very big, but again, that success is is international as well, whereas Powderfinger, like, we're all Gang about of Youths, here. I reckon it'd be pretty close. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But can you imagine Gang of Youths taking the number one slot in the Hottest 100 two years in a row? Maybe. Yeah. Like, they've kissed the ring. I reckon they can <laughs> touch the crown at some point. Absolutely. Maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah. Some people must have been mad at Powderfinger for going in this direction because there's a quote from Bernard Fanning saying, if you can't cop a bit of emotional stuff, then I think you should go and get the lampshade extracted from your ass. If you don't think there is enough rock in your life, then let me know and I will personally come around to your house and chuck stones at you. (laughs) That's got to be about something. I don't know what God, that's about. He was, he was so petulant at that point, wasn't he? Like this is this is like eighteen months removed from calling Ben Lee a precocious little cunt. I think he might be still riled up about that. Yeah. Frankly, do you think perhaps that it's our current context that has a weird relationship to things that are canon that aren't kind of emerging at the moment? Things that are historically canon, especially hmm. kind of in, in in a mainstream kind of way. Because, I mean, we are now at an age where we can, like, discovery is so accessible mm. and it's so possible. And this assemblage of your own personal music taste, that's just par for the course and it's it's how it kind of happens. So do we have trouble relating to something that is something like Odyssey Number no. 5 or is something like Powderfinger, wherein it's this, it's this kind of prescriptive culture in some ways? Yeah, maybe. Mm. That's- I don't know. Even some of the biggest acts that are coming out now fill niches because it, you can still be phenomenally popular and the biggest band in the world while still doing that. That might be yeah. just because the, that the fragmented nature of consumption in 2020 is so jarringly different from the year 2000. People who would previously be like, oh, well, this isn't my favorite thing ever, but it fulfills enough of the checkboxes for my favorite thing but i still really like this you know because the the music distribution model of radio is so like broad and you have to appeal to a number of people that people who are like oh look i'm not that like soft acoustic australian rock isn't my favorite genre in the world but this checks enough boxes maybe it's a a broadening of distribution model like to, to talk about appeal in these kind of terms it's to a certain degree, certainly above my pay grade and probably above all of our pay grades. It ties into like actual business models and capitalistic marketplace. It's never been about actual popularity or merit. It's always been about promotion and market value. But now so it's just such a fragmented, insanely broad, weird. Like we still use that term number of sales, which has no fucking meaning in a world where 90% of people are consuming their music via streaming services, right? Like like the, the ideas of broadness and popularity come from my back. In its way, the Horus 100 being a direct voting system represents a true representation of at least the Australian audience's kind of idea of what songs are good. Now, just like I'm kind of off the topic of Powderfinger, but it's the, it's the end of the games and the closing ceremonies are always a time for reflection. Um, yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, and that's right. Bernard's still standing on the top of the podium. We haven't let him get down yet. Um, just just yeah. a little little while longer, mate. We've got a few more things to say. Just yes. keep waving. That's it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on the third platform? Is it Darren Middleton? Oh, yep. so, uh, one of the other fingers. Yeah. I presume there's at least yeah. five of them. Mm. <laughs> and with that, the thing there again, Adam, just to drive home the point you were making, my happiness, it is the number one song of 2000. I don't fuck with it, but it is the number one song because it's My Happiness by Powderfinger. Yeah, what can you say? Instant yeah. instant classic. That's just the nature of that song. It yeah. was always going to be here. I'm going to give it a golden slinky. Oh, I was going to give it a golden slinky. Yeah. yeah. In like yeah. that's like the slinky gymnastics or whatever, you know. Mm. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. also going to give Bernard Fanning a gold uh, for that music video for wearing a short-sleeved shirt over a long-sleeved shirt. <laughs> that was the first, okay. classic look. One of the first times I ever saw someone do that, and I'm just like, oh, that's cool. I might do that. The look that meant you like music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Big time. I reckon if Bernard's going to go and throw some rocks at someone, he's probably got a good chance to place in shot put. Oh, mm. brilliant. Yep. Maybe maybe yep. not gold, but, you know, at least bronze. At least shameful bronze. Yeah, at um, least shameful bronze. Give him a breezy. <laughs> yeah. And look, guys, you got to say it. Gold for Australia. Gold, gold for, Australia. for Australia. Oh, what a shit country. <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. That brings us to the end of yet another top 10 of Hottest 100s and Thousands. That brings us to the end of yet another season of Hottest 100s and Thousands. And the end of the great games. The great games. The great games. That's it. Before we get out of here, we are going to pick our favourites, our least favourites, and end that ever-continuing story of carry over champ and carry over chump. And just to make things a little trickier, we are going to be selecting from the entire top ten. Adam, the floor is yours. As we stand here in the shadow of the Olympic flame, I think the song that leaps out most positively from this top ten as the champion uh, is probably the Dandy Warhols with Bohemian Like You. I've been humming that motherfucker near continuously since I revisited it and that's fucking worth something. That gets my personal gold for this top 10. Bravo, However, I don't think it will be taking the place of my overall countdown champion, Sleep Now in the Fire by Rant Against the Machine. Because boy, all those people who uh, who kind of made fun of me for uh, for switching out from uh, Radiohead to the woke political band, how are you guys <laughs> feeling about that? Huh? Look at that! That song slaps. My chump also remains the same. Everlast is truly the one who can <laughs> sleep in the fire, the Olympic fire. What? But what was your least favorite Olympic band? Probably Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah, I, the best thing about it is that it points to Iron Maiden. My favorite of the 10 i'm going to have to give it to the good the boys from down under the avalanches with their track Mm. frontier psychiatrist my least favorite of the 10 i'm going to have to give it to u2's beautiful day to me that day is not beautiful at all it's a bottomer my champ of the whole (laughs) countdown remains of course radiohead everything in its right place adam to answer your question I feel pretty damn good. The song owns. Grow up. Uh, wow. The, the entire chump of the countdown, the, the turd medalist, is none other than, of course, Everlast Black Jesus. One of the worst songs we have spoken about in the history of the podcast that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy, who is probably Mr. Everlast. For my favourite from this countdown... I think I gotta give it to Frontier Psychiatrist. I think it is a remarkable, remarkable song. Champ of the countdown, fuck you guys. 
It's Limp Biscuit. It was always going to be Limp Biscuit. Huh, Limp uh, Biscuit uh. fucking rule. Anyone who doesn't like Limp Biscuit is a cop. For my least favorite of the top ten, probably my kind of scene. I've never really cared for it. I have no attachment to it. The way I at least have some degree of attachment to every other song in the top ten. The overall chump of the countdown. Can I give it to that fucking Kid 606 song? Because, man, I love the shit out of Nathan Harrison, but my God. Doesn't feel like it. (laughs) I'm sorry, man. My favorite song uh, was Frontier Psychiatrist, and I think I'll give it the champ of the countdown. Oh, he did. Gold for Australia. Could easily leave it as Radiohead, but might as well. My least favorite of the 10 was Teenage Dirtbag. Man, there's some bad songs here, though but I'll leave my chump as MXPX responsibility. Fan-fucking-tastic. I just want to say thank you for your ongoing listenership and your support. It means a lot. I say we love you and we appreciate you every single week, and I fucking mean it, man. We love you and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a big plus one from me, David, to all the listeners. Thank you so much. I've been joking these things say give us a five star and do so but sincerely <laughs> thank you hop on the discord chat with us in the mid-season break party hard and Deej with the end of the countdown done the ceremony completed the athletes are pissing off back to the Olympic Village to apparently root heaps yeah heaps of rooting yeah heaps of rooting man they give out like thousands of like Rubber Johnnies, which I guess is good. Mate, sorry, but you're at peak physical condition. Yeah, you're yeah, young yeah. and you're surrounded by other people in the same way. You're going to root. Yeah, I get it. I've seen some Olympians. Some Olympians are solid sevens. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Deej, here's a bucket of sand. You can tip it on the fire. On behalf of Mr. Adam Buncher. Still gold. On behalf of Mr. Andrew McDonald. Stay gold. And on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Fool's gold. (laughs) My name is David James Young. Everything is good for you. When you win gold, it's a beautiful day. (laughs) It's a beautiful day for Australia. It's a beautiful day for Australia. (laughs) Beautiful day for the games. These noble games. It'd be so easy to be a sports commentator. (laughs) So easy. Beautiful play. You can say that about any sport. Oh, that's true. Oh, look, he's up. Oh, he's going. Oh, and he's just nailed it. What a beautiful play. These are the games we came to watch. It's a beautiful day for Australia and a beautiful day for the sport. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Give me a contract.